Hey gang, welcome back. Are you ready to get dark this week? This episode gets fucking dark. It's Playscape LA. Do you like how I just got real dark and then just threw on Omni Boys happy music as always? Uh, <laughs> that's why it's there. That's why it's there to keep it light. Um, whew. I just finished recording uh, my conversation with our guest this week, Alex Preston, who is the creator of Hyperlight Drifter and my good friend, a co-founder with me of Glitch City, the workspace we work in. Um, and man, usually I do these conversations uh, whenever I can sneak time. So the, the way I'm actually getting any of this shit done while we're finishing Hyperlight is that um, I just record these conversations whenever I can catch the guest um, on a weeknight or weekend or whatever. And then uh, I pocket that. And then when it's time to release the episode, I do a current, uh, like as I'm right before I'm about to release the episode, I do a current one of these, these intros. So... Um, there's usually some time between when I've had the conversation and when I'm doing this, which is good. It gives me time to process the conversation and to kind of give you a little introduction. That did not happen this week because A, it's been busy, and B, uh, I wanted to have a pretty much live conversation with Alex. So we just had the conversation. He left my apartment. I had some dinner, and now here I am talking to you. Um, so this is going to be an interesting one, I think. Uh, you know what? Uh, here's something that I want to talk about before I get into really properly introducing Alex. Um, so Alex and I have a special bond. We are birthday buddies, uh, which is the official term for people who, for, for he and I, who were born on the same day. So same day of the same year, uh, not, I think the same time that would be some galactic shit, but yeah, we have the exact same birthday. We are the exact same age. Uh, it was something I figured out early on, uh, I think during the Kickstarter, and I was like, oh, man, because I love birthdays. And that's what I sound like. I say, oh, man. Um, Here's something I want to talk about. Uh, so, yeah, we are the same age. Uh, that age is 31. That is how old I am. That is how old uh, Alex is. Sorry, Alex. I don't know if that's, like, a secret. I don't think it is. Um. I don't usually talk about that that much because as someone who makes things and as someone who f uh, I feel like I got my creative career started a little late, it kind of sucks to talk about age. It can be kind of scary. A lot of people will assume I'm like 27, 28, and I just kind of let them think that. That works for me. I'll take that. Uh, just depends on the depends on the week. If I'm real tired, they can, t they can tell how old I am. But uh, And 31 is not old, uh, by the way, for those of you listening who are... are my elders um yeah man fucking 31's young as shit uh, i still don't know anything in the world but uh something i've been thinking a lot about here and there and i do this from time to time is thinking about how we got here um particularly because this was alex's first game um Bo is relatively young but has been doing this for a long time um uh it was casey's first game sean's first game uh, a lot of first game for a lot of the team. Um, not my first game. 
but in both Alex and I's cases, like we're going to talk, you're going to hear in the conversation, a lot of the stuff that Alex did before he came to start Hyperlight Drifter, which is his first game. And um, I share with him the the uh, understanding that that Hyperlight sort of came, you know, in the public eye, it came out of nowhere. We came out of nowhere as a team for the most part. Um, people in video games would have already known Bo from Samurai Gun. They would have already known Rich from uh, being Disasterpiece and doing the music for Fez. Um, but yeah, we just kind of came, you could say we came out of nowhere, which is, which is garbage because we've been around. But in terms of people who are reading on the internet or players on Steam. And so I think it's important to open up about this. Cause like I said, I don't like talking about my age, but I'm talking to you about it. Um, because I am horrifically impatient, uh, mostly when it comes to my work and my career especially oh especially my career i remember my first gdc was in 2008 i was working for a game company in new york i was doing a little bit of design and a lot of marketing for them it was kind of my first game industry job and uh i convinced them to send me to gdc i don't remember what i told them uh, <laughs> i don't remember why i justify the trip I guarantee you I did not really do much in the way of business, but I did some stuff. Um, but I got, to, I got to go to GDC, and I remember sitting in the GDC awards. Uh, I still have a bag next to me sitting here at my desk that says GDC 2008, so I'm reminded of this story all the time. I was sitting in the, the GDC awards and the IGF awards. That's the um, Game Developers Conference, by the way, for those of you who are not in the industry. Uh, it is our big sort of professional conference for the year where people give talks about the trade, the craft of making games. Uh, it is also where the Game Developers Choice Awards happen, the GDC Awards, and back-to-back, uh, -to -back, the IGF Awards, the Independent Games Festival Awards. Um, I remember, here's the actual story, sitting in the audience in 2008, looking at Fez uh, winning, I believe, the Seamus McNally Grand Prize, the big prize. And I remember saying to myself with my enthusiasm for finally being in the industry and finally being here and being in a, a, a place I didn't even know existed a few years before and telling myself, oh man, I'm going to win the IGF next year. Next year. That would have been 2009. Uh, it's 2016. We just had an IGF. So that's officially, uh, I am seven years too late. Uh, or uh, 8,000, wait, no, 800 times, 800% of my estimate, uh, and I still have not won the IGF uh, or been uh, awarded something. I got an honorable mention for a game I worked on called The Moonlighters. Um, but yeah, no um, no win. Point being, and, and maybe, maybe Hyperlight will be a, a time, maybe people will like it, that would be cool. But that's not the point. The, the point is... Um, I've been doing this for a long time, in at least in my world, in my uh, understanding of time. I made my first, uh, you know, I made my first board game when I was a kid. I made a bunch of like, I did the thing where you make like maps of video games. I made some Mega Man maps and I mailed them to Capcom in Japan and stuff like that. Cute kid things. But I made my first video game in uh, 2005, 2006 is when we finished it. Um, so that was when I began like making little games that I was trying to get people to play. 
Um, not necessarily trying to sell. Uh, I didn't put a game up to like ostensibly make any money until uh, maybe closer to 2009 uh, when I started putting stuff up on like websites, put something up on Congregate, a Flash game. Um, so I have not been doing this forever. And again, many of you may have been making games or whatever you do for longer. Um, but I think it's important context, and, and I think it's it's important to me, and this is interesting to me for two reasons. Because one, what I am sort of highlighting implicitly here is, you could say, yo, calm the fuck down. It's going to be okay. Like, this is a long road. It is a super long road. Uh, even the production of Hyperlight was two and a half years. That is the longest job I've ever had. And it was longer for Alex and Bo, and longest for Alex. Um three plus years plus all the time he thought spent thinking about what he wanted to do with this game uh for however long he was musing about it that's um that's a lot of work and a lot of time um and all of the work that we all did beforehand is just a lot of time invested so much time invested um and i think that's just yeah so i guess what i'm saying is um there could be people who are aspiring game developers listening to this or who are game developers. Uh, maybe maybe you are indie um, and maybe you have uh, some successful games and that's fucking awesome. That is so hard to do. Um, maybe you haven't found a great financial or critical success yet or maybe you haven't gone indie yet or um, maybe you're just thinking about making games. Um, so yeah, what do, you, what do you take out of this rant that I'm saying, right? Do you, do you say to yourself, patience, patience, it's a long road, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, that sort of thing? Um, and to be honest with you, I, I wish that I were some sort of wise person enough to kind of follow through with this thought and say, yeah, yeah, uh, it's going to take you a while. Um, don't worry about it. And I will say no matter what, it does take you a while to get good, to get good at making stuff. Um, I've, I've only recently reached a point where I can look back and I can say like, yeah, I got better at doing this thing. It's not just that people are noticing my work. It's that my work is more, more, um, uh, worthy for lack of a less lofty word of, of being noticed. Like I think my work is better. And that, that feels really good to, to be able to say. And I hope my work keep, keeps getting better. Um, I keep not finishing this thought. Here it is. You might think that's what I'm saying. If I were wise, I would say, yes, just be patient. But I think that for me, and you don't have to listen to me. I mean, you're listening to me, but you don't have to go with my mentality. I needed that impatience. Okay, 2008, uh, I was... 24 25 um and getting into this stuff late and and by late is a um, relative term right um but but bo blythe who co co-coded uh and and did game design stuff uh with me on hyperlite uh he's been doing it since he was like a teen like he's a he's way younger uh than i am uh and he's really good um i'm losing my train of thought all, right. all i'm trying to say to you is that A, it does take a long time, and B, I think that if you're, that, that, that the impatience is important um, for me and my process. I work better under pressure. 
I work better being a little overambitious and being uh, disappointed for now. And I would say looking back that I'm glad that 2008 Teddy wanted to get into the IGF the next year because 2009 Teddy packed up everything, uh, packed up his life and left New York to come to Los Angeles where I am now. And it was only that urgency to do the thing, to make the stuff that people would care about that got me to do that. I had talked to mentors I had in New York and I said, how do I get into games? How do I get into games like for real? And they were like, yo, you need to move. And it took me some time to realize that in my particular circumstances, I did. And so as I did, I moved to LA and I went to film school for a little bit to do television. Um, don't pay no attention to the career lefts and rights that I took, but I did come back to games. Um, I think that's all I'll say to you about that. Moral of the story is it's a long road, but you're probably always going to assume it's going to be a short road or you're going to hope it's a short road and you're just going to keep hoping uh, over and over until you get it. I think that's called hunger. I think that's called hustle. Um, and while you can certainly um, and should hear from people who will warn you about um, things like crunch, things like unhealthy expectations and bad work mentality, uh, and 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 guilt over not being productive. Those are all things that I manage and think about all the time. But I am still a proponent of the hunger that I feel. I like it. Uh, and it's hard. It's hard to think through. And I'm going to get into the conversation. I know this is a long intro, but uh, this episode is long because uh, I let Alex and I go long because we were getting into some stuff. And it relates to this. So, whew. That was all really real for me. Um, thank you for listening to it. Um, I hope that if you are enjoying this show, you will uh, approach me at some event or party, and maybe I'll be drunk, but I'll be very nice. Um, yeah, I don't know. Or on Twitter. I hope you'll talk to me about this, because this stuff is not easy to talk about. Ooh. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's Friday morning. It's Thursday night. Hyperlight Drifter's been out for exactly a week, a little bit over a week. We're heading into our second weekend. Um, still fixing bugs. Uh, you'll hear about it. You'll hear about it. Um, let's just go into it. So let me reintroduce. Alex Preston is my guest this week. Alex uh, is the creator of Hyperlight and a co-founder with me of Glitch City, our collective workspace in Los Angeles. Uh, Alex is an artist, an illustrator by trade originally. Um, he's also a big uh, video game nerd, probably bigger than I am. His cred runs deep. And yeah, he started Hyperlight. He started prototyping with Bo Blythe. Um, and they made the first version that uh, much much of the footage of, from which was used for the Kickstarter trailer. Um, and Alex invited me to join him during the Kickstarter. So uh, he is a good friend. He is my birthday buddy. He is my collaborator. Uh, and he's someone who I, uh, I owe a great deal to because, um, he started something cool and he let me come on board and make it with him. And this has been a wild ride. So, um, yeah, this is a big deal. It's a big episode for me. I hope it is something special for you. Let's get into my conversation with Alex Preston. Hey, 
Hey, man. Hi. We're here at my apartment. That's true. We're usually not. That's true. We made a game. That is also true. We're still making a game. <laughs> that is definitely true. How's it going? Uh, tired going. <laughs> yeah. Well, you you spent the whole weekend doing responses to people. Yeah, my work never ends, apparently. <sighs> but, like, the, the responses are positive. Like, what are we at, 91% positive on Steam? Something like that. For, like, positive reviews? Yeah. We have we have good reviews overall, um, especially on Steam and then even in press. Um, but a few, a few of those are really weighing us down. There's, like, a 70 in there that's, like... Oh, a user review? Yeah, on Metacritic. No, on the... On oh, like critical reviews. Critical reviews. Yeah. I don't even know. Do they have... Do they, like, weigh those at all? I don't know. I I think it's like probably certain... shrouded in mystery. Okay. But you could probably do the math and right. see. I think they treat them evenly. And I think they I just think so. accredit certain sites. Right. I don't think they do weighted. I think there would be, like, a huge right. promotion if it's they scam. weighted it based on, like, viewership or something. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, it doesn't matter that much, but... No. I would like to maintain positive reviews, so. Yeah. How you like and listening to your voice? That's kind of nice. It's like soothing. It's like ASMRing yourself. Yeah. I like doing it. That's like, like when I go to sleep, I just put the headphones on. And listen to yourself talk. talk to myself. Talk to yourself. Talk yourself to sleep? I make a loop. Okay. And then no, I put yeah. a loop. That's, that's very self-absorbed. Teddy, go to sleep. Teddy, you're not a terrible person. <laughs> that's very sad and very <laughs> self-absorbed. Um... Yeah, it's weird right now, right? Like, It's really weird. Because we're still working on it. It's mm -hmm. funny, like, at Glitch, I keep seeing people playing the game. Yeah. I feel like we haven't released a game yet. Do you think that's going to change for you? Ever? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, because we still have to release a game on PlayStation well, 4 yeah. and Xbox. But, yeah. And after that, we still have to release it on Vita. So I, I maybe it'll become easier as time moves on but we're in this i feel like we're in stasis right now where okay the most of the reviews have dropped at this point and most of them are good mm -hmm. still waiting on ign i don't know i don't know why they haven't put their review up that's like that's the nail biter it's like oh shit mm -hmm. are they gonna give us like a, are this is that gonna be another seven <laughs> Fuck. like being called into the principal's office yeah <laughs> you know it's like i just want that one to, to fucking drop maybe they're putting it out on friday i don't know maybe um but then after that, it's still like, okay, well, we're still in the top 10 of Steam after a week, and that's great. Yeah. Um, but then when Dark Souls comes out, what does that mean for everything ever? I don't know. We don't know. Probably everyone will will disappear except for Dark Souls. Yeah. I die. mean, the news cycle will be Dark Souls for a couple of weeks, but yeah. I guess the thing that it's... And then there's all this Kickstarter stuff, so... You know, I it's like endless work. I have to finish this art book and this manual mm. that we're making and wallpapers and all this other stuff that is kind of done, but also kind of not. There's still plenty to be done with it. Yeah. Gotta print things, gotta make sure it ships out to people. I'm still answering messages. Humble bundles. Oh, that was a oof. there's some things going on there. We're still straightening things out after a week. Customer support stuff. Yeah. Well, like, do you I, I'm starting to feel like there it's that it's just not over you just like i remember before we were releasing i asked a few people like i asked like nathan vela and, and greg and a few people like yeah cool hey when we finish the game when do we get to rest like how or, or when should we expect to be able to rest six months well no and they were like i feel like everyone was like well you don't really know but you probably should just 
planet, but you don't know. And I'm starting yeah. to feel like there is no end. You just kind of like, like we just came from the bar where we're going to do the release party or like the post release party. Right. I feel like that night will be like a break. It'll be a break. But it, it's never going to be like just. I feel, so I think we're in a scenario that is perhaps unique in that we have a staggered release um, from PC and console mm -hmm. and we have Kickstarter stuff to answer to. Um, and, you know, our game has been a little bit buggy. So we were, they're like all these things combined Oh, and we sent out review codes pretty late in the mm. cycle, so they didn't just like come out and drop. Sure, you know, you look at the other top Steam sellers, like all the Dark Souls reviews dropped as soon as the embargo was up a couple yeah. of days ago at midnight. They're just like boom, and then what? What else is on top? Uh, Enter the Gungeon, like yeah, you know, they have an actual publisher behind them, right? So they know and they were probably they do done right. with that game for a little while, unlike us who were like <laughs> to the last second putting a build up. Yeah, literally. So. Yeah, actually, beyond the last, beyond midnight, we were putting a build up. Um, so, you know, our scenario is a little different. And so that's why maybe if we were one of those, any of those other games and we put a build up, could have been like, ah, cool. Now we can sit back and just look at how things go. But instead right. it's like, now I can look how things go and also keep working mm. on all of these other things that we have to do instead of like, ah, okay, cool. Now I can transition into the next project and do all these things. It's like, no, man, like I have months of labor ahead. There was something scary to me about not having the reviews out for first weekend, which again was our fault, but like it was good and bad. Cause yeah. I think it was like, it was just us and the players yeah. and players are scary. Cause they're like just the internet and they can get like real mad about things or real chill. So it was like, when you have reviews, I feel like maybe it would be more of a safety blanket of like, well, this person's screaming but the reviews said the game's good, so like I'm not totally terrified. I think it worked out fine. Yeah, I think it I did think too. it was good to have you know reviews come out later and kind of staggered because then we're in the news cycle a little longer because mm -hmm. it pops up and that's that's fine. And ultimately, what matters is what the users think. Yeah, you know, it was nice to know that they it seemed like they were liking it before anyone was telling them to like it. Yeah, that was great. And there was plenty of people who I'm sure had like watched the Kickstarter video but didn't actually get involved in the Kickstarter. Mm. Um when were you know, for whatever reasons and good for them. Um and then they played and they're like, Cool, yeah, this this is good. And we have plenty of positive Steam reviews, so what's so what do you like so we're all like working still. Yeah. And we're still going to the office. But it's like it, there's other stuff happening. Like we're watching, we're reading the reviews, and we're watching streams now and then. You and I just watched kind of like a fan review slash. I really liked that review. It was cool. No, you, not because it was. Well, I mean, it was nice that it was positive, but just because I liked his style. Yeah, it was kind of goofy. I, I appreciate a goofy review. I'm into. I don't know. I'm into fan stuff. I like the fan art. Yeah. The fan, wanna, there's some really good fan art. Yeah. There's some pretty fantastic fan art. Well, that's the cool thing, especially about the game being... I mean, you've got high-res versions in the cutscenes and stuff, but yeah. having the character pixelated, people can like take a lot of liberties with oh, yeah. what they think that character actually looks like and moves like and stuff. There was... Uh, what was the, the name of, the, of that one woman? Um, Almond something. Is that the artist's name? Yeah. Um, and she, was, she did the one with 
Planty eating the Drifter. Oh yeah, yeah, and she does really beautiful stuff. So, oh, have you have you seen her stuff before, or is that just like I've seen a few you... of her things because I think Night Margin was putting it up on her Hyperlight blog. So okay, or Tumblr. Anyway, Ooh. I still I haven't seen any fanfics yet, except for that one we saw a long time ago. Mm, yep. <laughs> Get ready. What is that internet rule? Uh, rule forty two or something. That, rule something. It's not forty two. That's not forty two. That's uh, Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah, it's like fifty. Rule thirty four. Thirty four. Okay, that sounds right. Bo knows what it is. Yeah, the porn rule. Yeah, what is it? It's like anything that exists, there is porn of it on the internet. Yeah, anything with any popularity that exists. We had that G string drifter. That was a weird one, but I'm waiting for like the drifter on drifter action. <laughs> that's what I'm. That's that's when you know you've been waiting it. for. That's that's what that's when I'll shave the beard. When oh, I, you're waiting when for I get the that deviant art fan hentai furry porn. You see that Steam review that said we were maybe a furry game. Well, yeah, they're like, I don't know. I'll I have to that. check it out. <laughs> it might be. I have a suspicion. I mean, to be fair, like, yeah, our entire game has like bipedal animals hanging yeah. around. Like, there's no humans in there. Everything's animal based. So. They probably make another animals. Yeah. Not really furries. It's not furries. Did we make a furry game by accident? <laughs> I mean, but isn't that though? It's bipedal animals. It's humanoid animals. Isn't that furry by definition? I guess so. Yeah. There's otter people and there's crab people. <laughs> I wish you told me this and <laughs> two and a half years ago. <laughs> <laughs> there are no humans in this. It's all just walking on two legs, humanoid. Uh animals and robots robots so i want to talk to you about i'm curious like things that i'm curious about that we don't normally talk about mm. is like my hair sure um but uh, on on top of that mm. or as a, a mix a mixture of your hair maintenance. and something else no it's like um what is it been so like my my creative for me my creative career kind of started almost started in games mm. Like my professional creative career started in games. I wasn't doing anything professionally um, or wasn't aspiring to until I was doing like briefly the film thing and then games. Mm. But like you've done other work creatively professionally yes. Yes. before games that I don't understand or that like I don't, <laughs> I don't understand that experience. Yeah. Man, like what is the difference in the labor that goes into it like, can you, what's, what has stood out to you in like doing this video game? I mean, you know, video games inside and out, like you know a shitload about video games. Right. But like the creative process of doing, doing your work on this versus the work you've done before. Sure. What is that like? It's very different. I mean, I, so I've done a lot of different things. I, I started a company when I was 18 with a guy, um, out of an apartment and it was, we were building software for politicians. Um, hmm. We did like donation software online and we had like a, a web builder where you could build your own like little platform. Mm -hmm. um, and we did a lot of like get out the vote software. So for blast faxes and direct mailers and all this dumb crap that I don't give a shit about. And I, I like, none of it was inspiring, but it was interesting because I learned a lot about business. Sure. And I learned a lot about how not to run a business and, and the good things about running a business. Um, and I managed a team uh, for a little while, for, well, for like a year. Um, but that was a multi-year project. 
And so that was my first real experience, not only building a business, but running a business and the intricacies behind that and the complexities um, and managing a team of any kind of a scale and also staying long-term on a project, um, which again, that was, gosh, my freshman year. And then I left my senior year. So that was of college, those four years. Was that team around, was that team together longer than Hyperlite then? Yeah, huh. most of it. Um, so it was me and Ravi in the beginning, and then we just kept hiring and hiring. And then we had an office in D.C. Um, and in L.A. Um, and then we also had an office, like an R&D lab in India, and that was right. that was primarily what I was managing. So why, so you, um, were, you were at Otis yeah. when you started it then, if you were a freshman. College of Art and Design. Right. So why did you start that business? Because I'm a crazy person and I don't have enough to do in my life, apparently. So I'm, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but like I'm that type A personality to like the extreme where I need, I need things to do all the time constantly. Otherwise I feel like I'm being unproductive and stupid. Yeah, I get that. So, um, no, yeah, I know. I, uh, but was it, but like... I didn't know that at the time. And even though I was doing these things, like I was call, I was full on doing, you know, 18 credits in college and yeah. I was doing this, I was like moonlighting and doing this. And then in the summers I was going to DC and working on this whole thing and it was fucking madness. But I didn't, I like, I don't did know you, how I maintained anything. Did you go to Otis though? Like with the, with, was your intention career wise to come out and be a career artist or to do art for money? Yeah. That, the idea was mm -hmm. I would go there and be a fine artist. Yeah. Because I had thought long and hard about like, oh, you know, I'm a, I'm a computer nerd at heart, games nerd, whatever else. But I was like, ah, I can't make a career in games. Nobody makes money in that. Yeah. And, but this was in high school when the tools weren't quite available that were now or that are now. Um, and so the outlook on games was very different then. It was like, oh, I could go work for Nintendo or something else, but I don't really want to. Like, I want to make my own projects. I want to make my own art. And back in high school in like 2000 and 2001 mm -hmm. and when I graduated, um, those prospects for like an independent developer were kind of impossible. Oh, it yeah. was like, a, um, if it, like, I didn't even really know anything about independent development at the time. It's like, well, I have to be a computer genius in order to do this. Like I have to be a programmer. I have to do all these things. I don't know any software to do this in. Like I was animating and doing silly shit and I'd poked at Game Maker once or twice, but back then making games with that thing was... That was, or like doing games in Flash was a thing that I tried <laughs> out, but I was like, this sucks. Mm, such a nightmare. Yeah. It's like, it sucks. And I was doing RPG Maker and all this other stuff. And I was like, but this isn't the quality that I want. This is, this, these are like baby tools. Yeah. These are not real. This is not what the industry is using to make games. So yeah. this was not for me. And seeing that and seeing the idea of like, well, I could go to school, like a technical college or something. And I could go work for an EA or whatever else, but that sounds horrible because I never want to work in like a big giant corporate scenario like that where well, I don't have creative control. The time we were in college was, maybe it was before, but it was like around the time of EA spouse or like yeah. where Crunch was yeah, just was a little bit. It was during college, yeah. yeah. But, but even then, so like making the decision to go into fine arts specifically was a very cognizant one for me, even though I was a huge game and, and or games and computer nerd and had a desire to make video games my entire life. But thinking realistically about creatively where I wanted to be and how much control I wanted, which was 100%, fine arts made more sense for me. So I was like, yeah, I can make paintings, I can draw, I can do all the things that I want to do, and I have full control. Was your, was your thinking with, that, with the business that you did in college, was it like, 
did you have an interest in that or was it like oh this is a good way to potentially be making money just in case like the business artists. was kind of happenstance because it, mm. it was like six months into my freshman year i think or it was early on and a friend of a friend um or one of my friends an acquaintance of mine she's like oh i have another friend that needs a logo done for some jewelry company thing that he was involved in and then I did, I did the logo, ended up meeting with him, and I kind of blew it off a little bit, so he was unsatisfied, but we ended up talking, and I was like, yeah, blah, 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 but he saw, like, no, yeah, you can make things. How about you make this other thing? And we ended up talking about the political company that he was working on internally, um, and we just, I don't know, it just kind of happened. Hmm. It's like, yeah, that sounds super interesting. I'm, I mean, I have a lot of things that I want to try out and do. Why not? Yeah. It was, it, that was more the attitude, and like, I... I have an investment in politics because I live in this country um, and I was interested in learning more about business and, mm. and how to manage things. So I don't know. It was, it was a good, it seemed like a good opportunity at the time and a, and a way to learn things that I wouldn't otherwise at college, at the college I was at, cause it was just a fine arts program and not necessarily focus on any kind of academics or certainly not on business. Did you find a lot of parallels then um, in what you were doing there versus what you're doing now running this company? Um, certain parallels, but I try and avoid the bad things. Well, yeah. <laughs> the fuck-ups. Yeah, the fuck-ups. Because that, that whole venture was really interesting, um, from my perspective at the time, because I wasn't running the company, mm. but I was, like, I was one of the co-founders, really, and so Robbie was the guy running the company, and, but oftentimes we were talking about how to run it, mm. but he was the ultimate decision maker. Mm. So I was, you know, I was a sounding board in a lot of ways and, um, I would have say in a lot of decisions, but ultimately it was up to him and I didn't want that responsibility anyway. It's like, I'm doing the things that I can do, but I saw all the ways that he was running it that I didn't like, mm. um, and all the things that were happening with the company that I didn't like. And it's like, I don't want to do this when I run a company. Mm. And so it was a very good learning experience in that way. Um, for, for any number of reasons. It was a great learning experience overall for a lot of reasons. And it was like having, um, an entirely different degree while also getting my fine arts degree, which I technically never got anyway. So, oh yeah. Like a credits issue. I think you told me about this. Yeah. I was short like two credits cause they fucked over some scheduling in the last semester. I was like, uh, eh, whatever. Now you're never going to be a successful artist. I will never be a successful artist, man. So, okay. So you did that. And then I know that like you and Casey had worked together in Three Legged Legs. Yeah, I so after college, I or during that senior year, I quit um, the political business thing. Mm. I was like, I'm done with this. It's fucking destroying me because I was up, you know, late nights. I was mm. I was doing school in the day, and then I would go home, maybe relax for an hour or two, and then start up with our R and D lab, which was in a completely different time zone, mm. and I'd be working until like three or four in the morning doing stuff. And again, like I just didn't see a good path for the company anymore. Like the things that we, the promise that it held early on had kind of faded or just mm. completely waned. So I was like, I'm done and I'm moving on and I'm doing something else. Cause this is not for me anymore. Yeah. And that was tough. Cause I'd put, you know, my heart and soul into it for years trying to make it successful. Cause it's like, I have a big stake in this and we can make this, this should be like a multi-million slash billion dollar company, but mm. it just wasn't happening um, because of all these weird pitfalls and just, you know, mistakes that we had made as a, as an entity. So did you track what happened to that company after? 
I know. I apparently still have stock in it, but I, I don't know hmm. what's happening. With that. <laughs> um, so yeah, after that, after college, I started just doing freelance, um, all sorts of freelance. So I was doing like what sort of stuff for who? So I was doing freelance for artists for a while. Um, oh uh, yeah, you were describing that. This is something I was, I was not familiar with. Yeah. So there's a whole. I've been involved in many different wor- professional worlds, mm-hmm. and each one works differently. Um, so for artists, for fine artists, it's kind of a bizarre thing where you work as a quote unquote artist's assistant. Um, and that means that you do a lot of work and you get no credit for it Mm -hmm. with the hopes that maybe someday you'll get into the gallery because you know this artist and then they'll like your work or something. And they'll be like, yeah, let me recommend you to my gallery and they'll put you up in the gallery. Is there some equivalent for illustrators in the way that I'm familiar with like animators where like rookie animators draw like the in-betweens or whatever mm. like are you Tweens. filling in like are you filling in color <laughs> like what are you yeah for yeah. sure like i'm doing that or i'm like straight up painting their paintings would you do like an entire piece for someone like Pretty a ghost much. painting yeah you're like you're either a ghost writer in a lot of ways that's crazy what so what, what is that how does that start then do they just say paint something or they're like i want to paint a bird well i worked for a number of artists uh-huh. um and one of them one of them was way more boring because I was just doing like, I was literally doing paint by, paint by numbers on this massive, like 20 by 30 canvas um, because it was this huge trick, um, what a magic eye painting. Mm-hmm. Um, Wait, 20 inches by 30 or 20 feet? By 20 feet <laughs> by 30 feet. So that thing took a fucking, what the fuck? took months and months yeah. and months of manual labor because we were like, we had like 16 colors and we we're like picking each one. and It was crazy. It was fucking crazy. Who was it for? I just got high every day and, mm. and mine, it was mindless work. So I'd listen to like audiobooks and get high. Was this a commissioned piece that the artist was doing? And no, were... it was, it was for a gallery show. He okay. was preparing okay. it and, and, um, he, um, ended up, I mean, he ended up, he ended up selling them to some collector somewhere. I don't know. Did he did two of them. So I worked on two of those fucking things and holy fuck, was that the most mindless stuff? But that was fine because, after the whole uh, political thing, mm. it was kind of relaxing to go into that kind of work where no responsibility at all. I mm. can show up, like I was biking to work every day. I could show up and get super high with everybody and then just work on completely mindless stuff. Huh. So it didn't pay well, you know, but it was fine. It was sustainable for what I was yeah. doing at the time. And it was a really nice break for a year or so to do that stuff. And then I ended up working for a different artist um, after that whole thing fell apart because he couldn't pay his employees anymore because he just wasn't making as much money as he was mm. through shows. And I don't know. Um, and I, and the next artist I worked for Freddie, he, um, we became good friends. Like he's a super cool dude this crazy German guy. Hmm. Um, and I liked his work generally, but I was basically like his ghost writer, his ghost painter where, you know, I was making his paintings and, and for the most part, like he would do some color stuff and do some touches here and there. And he was making the decisions on mm. it and what stuff he wanted painted. But I was ultimately doing all, all of the actual labor on it. So like how many, how many things were you producing and was he producing other things or was he like creative? He was doing it? all sorts of different things, but I mean, for the most part, you could think of him as a director Yeah, where he's kind of focusing the light on a thing and saying, do this. Mm. Um, and then everybody else is doing the work for him. So mm. I was his lone assistant for a while making, I mean, I, I don't know how many paintings I made for him, but they were all large format. Mm. Um, and I worked with him for a number of years. 
like one or two or I don't know. did you when you work for an artist like that like and then that piece goes to a show and then it gets sold like i my i feel like my outside understanding of the fine arts world is that it's very polar it's like there's artists who make a shitload yeah and there's artists who make pretty much nothing yeah the fine arts world is fucked mm. and i ended up hating it after being involved in it for a long time because the gallery system's so stupid why? And it's is it like an is it elitist? Is that like oh, it's extremely elitist, and and I mean they take fifty percent of your revenue. That's how it works. The gallery like, does. Yeah, Oof. they're like, hey, put some pieces up. We'll put a show up for you, and then we're going to take a. It's a fifty-fifty cut. That's bad. It's super bad, and typically artists, you know, it's like a small handful in the mm. grand scheme of things that actually are successful and and can maintain a career. Most artists most fine artists or performance artists or whatever kinds of artists in those brackets, they're supplementing their income by teaching or doing anything else because you can't make a living being a fine artist unless you actually can. And that's pretty rare. Is that like, I'm, yeah, I'm thinking through this. So like we give what 30% to steam. Yeah. And if we had a publisher, That'd be another 30%. Another 30% inside of that 30%. Yeah. Which would probably look like we'd be getting like 50%. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it's not that crazy, but I mean, 40%. How much is, is the value super less for an art gallery? Like I, 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 maybe, maybe not. I mean, I'm not saying that art galleries don't do a lot because it's, they have, they have the through line to the collectors. Hmm. So the artist doesn't have to do anything but make the work. And so you can think of them as a publisher in a lot of ways where they're like, they're handling all the business side of it. They're handling the transactions. They're handling the the checks. They know all the people. They know all the collectors. They bring the people in. They advertise, you know, they spend the money to market that, that show. Hmm. But it's still, it's still kind of a fucked up system. And I just, and it's old and it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem, it's just old. Like I, I, I appreciate modern systems. I appreciate transparent systems and the gallery system in, in fine arts is not one of those. It's just, it's all very, it's about who you know. It's about clout. It's about all this mm-hmm. weird insider knowledge that just, it rubbed me the wrong way mm-hmm. more often than not. That's tough. Yeah, I mean, and I guess your experience with games has been quite the opposite because Kickstarter was a very flat sort of democratic thing. Like, yeah. You did not leverage your good friend, famous video game person X. <laughs> No. So like, I mean, granted, I built a lot of relationships in the indie game community before yeah. that because we started Glitch City yeah. uh, well before I, I launched the Kickstarter. But still, like, you know, I didn't know everybody. And then I like, I knew people in LA. I knew yeah. like Ben Esposito and you and like 10 other indie people. And right. of course, they know other people and then they know other people because it's a very small com- community. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like, oh, yeah, I know, like you're saying, it wasn't like, I know john blow and then he's gonna promote my project yeah. was like, i was after i said that i was like trying to think of anyone in video games who could actually do that because the answer is probably nobody there is no single person no. in video games who could like get you the money no i mean but but here's the thing like based on reputation phil fish re- like tweeted out about mm. the hyperlight and put it on facebook and it's like holy fuck that's so cool because you know I, I admire his work and admire fez to a great deal yeah um and drew inspiration from it so it's like oh man he recognized it and he has like you know tens of thousands of followers on twitter so you know stuff like that definitely helped make the sure. pitch explode the way that it did how did you, you just cold contacted rich right for the music i knew a guy um 
Rectaham. Rectaham? I, I don't know. He's got a, a handle that I could never quite pronounce. Rectum? No. Okay. Not Rectum. Rectaham. Rectaham or something. Um, no, he knew, he was a super cool dude. He was a musician, or is a musician. Oh, okay. Um, does a lot of chip tunes. He actually had a Kickstarter of his own later on down the line. Hmm. Um, shit, I forget how I met him. Maybe I met him through... I don't even remember how I met him. It's like through Bo or like somebody else and, or like he reached out or I reached out or something. And then he knew Rich because he had done drums for Rich. I remember this. Okay. Um, at a concert or something or had worked with Rich in some capacity. Um, so knew him pretty decently um, or pretty well. And then I was like, hey, could you reach out and ask him to like take a look at the project and if, see if he wants to do music for it? He's like, yeah, sure. And he did. And Rich was like, yeah, cool. Looks good. Let's do it. Is pretty straightforward and simple. That's just the most interesting thing about like art communities and I mean I guess indie games in this context, but like is meeting people yeah. and the way that you meet or, like accidentally meet people. And that I remember that was something that was interesting to me about you and Casey when I started to get to know you because at the time I'd been meeting a lot of people in games for years, so like I was kind of in that community, yeah. but you guys had like friends in different communities and I was like, how yeah. do you even meet people like who, like, uh, like Will, like Baths who did the trailer, the first right. trailer music was like a buddy of yours. Yeah. And it was like, how do you, how do you meet creative people? Cause I had just like well, come the, yeah. from a totally different world and dropped in and been like, how do I meet creative people? Yeah. Well, it helps to go to college with, mm. with a lot of creative people. And that's where most of my connections came from. So after Otis, I did, um, after I quit the political thing, and then I started working for artists, and then I was like, I hate this. I don't want to work for artists anymore. This sucks, because I'm not getting any credit. I don't want to do the gallery system, because it sucks. And I don't I don't feel inspired to make paintings for these people, because it's just going to go to somebody's, like, some collector's hole or whatever yeah. else. And I'm just like, I want to show my work to people, and I want to make meaningful things to myself and affect others. Um, hence why I went into commercials right after that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, I was, I was, I was kind of lost in what I was doing with fine arts. And I was like, I definitely don't want to be working for artists anymore because I'm not getting paid what I'm worth. And I'm also not making any progress on my own work really. And so I had been kind of freelancing here and there, um, doing some commercial stuff later on down the line. And Casey, um, he was running three legged legs with two other dudes. Um, and they are, they were, um, uh, uh, what was it like a motion graphics production company basically. Yeah. So they would make sweet spots for, um, different brands, typically commercials. Um, sometimes they're online, sometimes they were on television, sometimes they're for them for like some web presentation or whatever else. But, um, it was marketing. And mm -hmm. there's a shitload of money in marketing. And that's what they went to school for. They went to do motion graphics, knowing that they're going to get a lot of commercial work. Um, and I know Casey always had higher aspirations to do something beyond just like commercials for Coca-Cola or sure. you know, Virgin in America or whatever else. And not to say that the things that the, that they did weren't cool, because they always tried to put yeah. their special creative touch on it. And I always thought that their projects turned out really well. And I was fortunate enough to work on a few of those. Um and even though it was like one of my favorite ones was Method Hand Soap. Yeah, I recognize that one. Yeah. They still use that shit. I know, they still use it on yeah. planes. I was like, oh yeah, I drew that fucking thing. That was cool. Um, but it was fun 
because we got to put dick monsters in it and do like crazy fun like it was just it was goofy and everybody knew each other and the project you know there's just a lot of good people on that project Mm -hmm. so even though we were doing some stupid commercial that we didn't really care about we put we put a lot of effort into it and a lot of creative effort into it to make it something that was enjoyable to work on Mm. you know i can't imagine working on a fucking commercial where i just have like no creative energy on it and i actually i can't imagine that because i have done done that but i so yeah i mean after after i kind of i kind of transitioned out of fine art stuff and transitioned into quote-unquote full-time freelance which was uh oh gosh what was the term for that when you're basically you're freelance but you're you're there all the time anyway um contract no no it it was still freelance but it it was like it was a permalance or some silly loose term yeah um that's cute it is a cutesy term, but it is basically like, yeah, you're pretty much on call for this studio all the time yeah, and you're yeah. going to be working on most of the projects. So there's a couple of studios I had like that, that I got regular work from. Mm. Um, some projects were better than others. Um, and yeah, that was, turns out commercials, you know, make, you make a lot of money doing that. Like my day rate ended up going up to like $600 a day, Pretty good. Um, which is not bad, especially when it's like, yep, I have a a set like month of work on this project because mm. I'm going to do the storyboards and then I'm going to start doing style frames and I'm going to do all this other stuff. And it's like, if you're making that much every day, it's like, Oh cool. There's a pay. My paycheck is going to last me for like six months. Mm. But then that's the problem too. When you're doing freelance that goes um, away. is, you know, sometimes you don't get called for six months yeah. because you just, you're not needed on this project or whatever. So well, you don't have insurance either. Do you? You don't have insurance. Yeah. It's all, it's, you, you know, you're kind of working without a safety net is, yeah. is the thing, but luckily I was able to sustain myself for a number of years doing that. But you know, I ended up drawing like fucking dancing vacuum storyboards and like, Oh, you did the Brave Little Toaster. And then, oh, I love the Brave Little Toaster. But, and then like Audi commercials, which is like, I don't care about this car. I don't care about cars. I was doing something for like the NFL, where I was like, why are these guys running down the streets? Yeah. No, I mean, I like, I was on a different piece of that because I did advertising for a year and a half out of college, but I was on the producing side. So like I had the fun job of like having to communicate all the bullshit to the artists and to the copywriters being like, this was awesome. I really like this. Right. But they think that it needs to be more purple. Yeah. Yeah. So ultimately doing that stuff was soul sucking in its own way yeah. where it's just like, cool, I'm getting paid a lot of money and that's great. But man, do I not like doing any of this anymore? Like mm. there's nothing because not only am I not getting recognition, I'm getting paid a lot better now, but I'm still not sure. getting recognition. I don't really have very many creative choices here. It's just like the producer or the director on the project are telling me what to do. And then they have a number of other people telling them what to do. So it's like, I only have so much leeway here. And usually it's like, cool, make it look like this yeah, or this combined with this. And there's rarely anything where you're like, Oh, I get to really express myself creatively here. It's funny. Cause I usually think about that in the context of advertising. It's like, yeah, everybody knows advertising is like not as not creatively fulfilling, but you get paid. So it's a rare beast to get paid for your work. Right. But, but when, as you're saying that, I'm like, that's like exactly the sort of thing that happened or that I saw people going through like at Disney. Oh yeah. When I was doing Disney stuff, because Disney's like, this is how you draw Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Don't, don't draw Mickey Mouse differently or we will throw it away and you start right. over. 
Um, but people were happy, but it's the same sort of thing. Like, it's funny that like that expands out of advertising too, I guess. I think for a lot of like creative industries that are ingrained, that's mm-hmm. what happens. And I think that even happens in games quite a bit too. Sure, yeah, big game companies. Big game, like this is Assassin's Creed. This is how you make Assassin's Creed. Don't do anything else. It's, I mean, it's like the military and I mean that in a nice way, yeah. but like the way I understand the way the military works is like the military would not function if people didn't just do exactly what they were told. Yeah, it wouldn't. too many people. And there's yeah. too much shit going on. It's too complicated. You need order yeah. in order to manage that many people. Yeah. And and so that's why indie games are nice because I have full control. Or, well, the, I have full control because yeah. I'm the boss and you're my team. And we don't have a publisher to answer to. And that's not always the case, but we're fortunate enough that we could do that. And I'm crazy enough to want to do that Mm -hmm. because Jesus Christ, it would have been a lot easier in some regards to have a publisher to handle a lot of the things that I've been handling. But again, I'm a fucking madman and it's like, I want 100% control. How do you feel about that? Because we had plenty of phone calls with publishers and we were always like, we didn't need it. We didn't need the money for sure because Kickstarter and we didn't think we needed the marketing. No. But it's, but I don't know. Do you think it would have saved a lot of time? It's hard to tell. No, I ultimately, I mean, I look back at that and I think about it from time to time. And I think about what I'm doing now. And I'm like, oh, answering all these emails, Jesus. But Yeah, the support stuff. Yeah, all the support stuff. Like, but we just hired somebody to do that. So Mm -hmm. that's, I can do that. And that's great. Mm -hmm. And we have the money to do that now. That's, That's awesome. And I still feel like we made the right choice by not going with the publisher because whatever they could have done for us that I'm doing now, I actually, I've learned a lot Mm -hmm. and I appreciate that experience. Um, And I appreciate being able to engage directly with, with steam people, with, you know, Sony, the platform holders. So I get to know these people personally and I get to know the process personally and they get to know me. And also on, on a larger scale of getting to interact directly with everybody who's playing the game and fans and yeah. everything like that's been invaluable for me so you know a publisher could have handled a number of these things and that was that was the biggest thing they would always push is like yeah you know we have like great relationships with sony and microsoft it's like so do we yeah that's like point. we like i just I, t- I can go call one of these people because they're normal people who want to see your game succeed so it's like yeah i'll go talk to nick and send him an email and yeah and that's been i mean that's been a great thing that the publishers have been wanting to do that over the last several years yeah so that we actually can talk to them so yeah, it's just like I, and again, like this isn't something that you could have done five years ago, 10 years ago. Like it was much less, it was much more opaque, the whole process. And so having a publisher was a, a vital thing. But nowadays, like, yeah, you can self-publish and you can be successful yeah. and you can talk to the platform holders because they are willing to talk. Um, and they, and they want, they want games on their systems and they want you to succeed just as much as you do. So it's, you know, the role of a publisher has changed. They aren't obsolete and I think they're adapting in certain mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. And I would work in a, I would work with a publisher in, um, in the future if it made sense. And I think it might for the next project. Um, so it's just, it depends. And, but for Hyperlight, yeah. it's, it's been okay. And it's just, it's more stress and work on me, but ultimately it's a great learning experience and opportunity to connect with people that I wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah, it seems to me that like, a thing that is true now is that like every game has to have a business around it. Like it has to be run like a business and you don't have to do that. No. That's what publisher is. Publisher is like, if yeah. you don't want to have the, the benefits that you're talking about of running your own business, but you also don't want to deal with the amount right. of business work that, that you do, especially more than anybody on the team, like 
then I guess you can get a publisher. Yeah. And those are the things that where I, when I'm doing them at the time, I'm like, Oh God, why don't I have a publisher or somebody Mm -hmm. else to do this stuff? Mm -hmm. Like when I'm doing business license stuff or I'm like signing paperwork and working with my accountant Mm -hmm. and like pulling time away from actually making the game, which has happened so much during the project, but we still got a game out and I still did it and I'm still doing those things. But again, I, I'm, I am obsessive. Like I have actual OCD, so Mm -hmm. I I get very obsessive about things and very controlling about things. And so I want to know where all these dollars are going. I want to know how a business is run. I want to know every step. I want to know the legal side of it too. And so whenever I talk to our lawyer, I'm like, why is this this way? I don't just be like, okay, cool. You know best. You're the lawyer. I'm like, no, tell me why this law is this way so I can understand. Yeah. Because I like, I want to know why uh, things work and how they function, so yeah. that I can make better informed decisions. Well, especially in a business that's not really that like can't afford to be dogmatic because it changes so much. Like right. in every conversation we've had in a business capacity that you've had, it's like no one can tell you how it is because yeah. it isn't any way. Like if like a publisher conversation or whatever, like everything is up for discussion. And like you're saying, I feel like it's smart to that you want to have an understanding of that. Because then you can have like a a rational conversation with someone that's not based on assumptions. Right. I just, I have a a deep hunger for knowledge on things. And especially when it concerns my career and my well-being and the well-being of my team Mm. and the ultimate like sustained success of Heart Machine. Like I care deeply about every aspect of it. So I want to understand every, every facet of the process I mean, I don't want to become a lawyer, but I do want to understand all the things that go behind that. And like, I don't want to become an accountant, but I do want to understand why things are happening the way they are and why I have to pay these certain fees and like this, like, what is the tax structure that I need to be in? That was always like the thing that I always observe about CEOs is that like the ones that I always thought were the most respectable were the ones who understood the business from the bottom. Right. Like, you get the guys like when um, Bob Iger took over at Disney. Hmm. I was at Disney at the time, and, like, that dude started at Disney. He's, like, a mailroom dude. He, like, started or chose to start in the mailroom and worked his way up through the company for, like, his whole career. And that just, like, engenders so much respect. Yeah. And and ability to run the company. Yeah. Like, outside of what people think, like, actually makes you better at that stuff. I think that's true for any career path. I think, Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at politicians, and you see the ones that are, like, handed the political platter, like, their Mm -hmm. dad was in it or something. And so, like, yeah, they they were were made, like, comptroller of some community or whatever just because their dad was a senator for a number of years and they got they got it easy but then you see the people who like worked their way up from you know whatever teaching position to some you know shitty port board position Mm -hmm. to you know jumping on to the school board then going like working their way up finally becoming mayor and then getting a senator position maybe even becoming a governor like you see the effects that has on a person's ability to understand how a system works because it's complicated. Mm -hmm. And instead of looking at it from the top down, looking at it from the bottom up and understanding the foundations of that stuff and why these machinations are functioning the way that they are. Yeah. Well, the way you talk about that sounds just like the way that you hear like Rami talking about the business of games, Yeah, which is that like a lot of people who make games and myself included in the past, it's like you you just you learn that you have to know it all and that's like one of the things about being indie i feel like or running or or doing a company that's so small yeah or start small it's like you gotta know all the shit 
You got and it. If you don't want to know all the shit, then do something else. Yeah. I mean, yeah. any small business, regardless of the industry, if you want to be successful, you you have to wear a lot of hats and mm-hmm. you have to have an understanding of all these different things going on in order to make the best decisions. Otherwise, you're going to make bad decisions and the company is going to be run into the fucking ground. My granddad used to say, it takes a lot of good deals to build a company and it takes one bad deal to destroy it. Oh, that's it's probably, like super stressful. but That is very stressful, but yeah. it's probably true. That's how I feel whenever we update the game now. <laughs> I'm like, we've written a bajillion lines of code and I'm going to write one and we're going to patch the game and it's going to break. That's why we have beta, beta channels. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. No, I'm not. It's fine. I'm not terrified. It's not scary. You should be, because I am too. It's like more scary to break it than it was to ship it broken. Yeah. It's worse to be. I mean, I, it's, it is, because it's like, oh, and I've had people say, like, hey, my game was working, now it's not. <laughs> I'm like, oh, fuck. That's the worst. Ah, oh, shit. And that's, yeah, that shit's, that sucks. Ugh. But I've had just as many people be like, oh, my game's working now. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, okay, well, it's, it's a balance of. Maybe that one person who had it working working perfectly doesn't have it working anymore. Yeah. But if I can make five other people happy, then that's it's better for us ultimately. So, so sometimes you're saying sometimes few must die so that many may live. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> and we're on you know we're on fucking three platforms. We're on PC, Mac, and Linux, and there's so many different c- c- configurations and different stores. Different stores, and it's like ugh, I've learned my lesson. And I said this. I said this like two months ago where i was like i've learned my lesson i'm just gonna release on ps4 and pc uh-huh and now i'm like i've learned my lesson and i kind of just want to only release on ps4 next time around mm. yeah and do console first yeah just like or, do console yeah. first and then do pc maybe I, know, I get that I, temptation too but uh, but it's still like pc is such a, a good lucrative platform mm. and i want to be on it that i'm like I would still do PS4 and PC, but I'm certainly not doing Mac. I'm certainly not doing Linux. I'm certainly not doing other, like, I love the Xbox and all, but I, like, I've, I've learned that focusing in is pretty important. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I, yeah. Even, even now with how responsive, like, PlayStation and, and, or Sony and Microsoft are with us in, like, yeah. communicating, like, we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing now on console we wouldn't be able to update the game no. however many times we've updated it no. like four since uh, last since a week since it's been out yeah I, yeah i mean we were we at one time a year ago we were talking about like yep we're gonna release it all at the same time boy was that a fucking crazy idea and i'm so glad we didn't do that we, we were still considering that until what <laughs> like december or something or maybe pretty a late pretty late in the process yeah. i think it was like november when i was like this is too fucking crazy yeah I, we should just not release it at the same time because that's not going to work for us it's tempting it's very tempting but i think we've learned we've learned a lot and i had the feeling then and and it was the right call to be like yeah we need to release on pc first because then we can make the mistakes there and we can fix and do that and that's what we've been doing for the past week is like fixing 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 and making it better and catching bugs and doing all that stuff and so by the time we're able to put it on consoles it'll be hopefully a much smoother release and like and hopefully slightly better game like yeah I, that's the bug stuff is is the stuff of nightmares but like i'm actually really enjoying the like tweaking yeah although it's scary because you don't want to like rob somebody of it like you want to make the game easier and then someone who beat it when it was hard i have they thought about cheated, that yeah you know? that exact thought of like yeah, yeah I, I added a few gear bits here and there like i added some health packs because yeah. there was a, you know and like 
that is one of my, the most satisfying things is to get feedback and to make adjustments. Like we're going to make the Zalisca like one more uh, hit point powerful. Yeah. And we're going to make the heal a little bit faster. And we made the wake up a little bit faster because there, there was enough feedback on this right, stuff. Right. And now we're going to make the game 60 frames per second because a lot of people are yelling at us. Sure aren't. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I don't think we're ever making the game 60 because it's just, it's just, nope. it's too much. Um, we make a different game in 60 FPS. Yeah. No, the next game is like... You make a whole like, new game in 60 the FPS next game faster. Is, is, <laughs> those, that's the other lesson learned is like the next game starts at 60, but like this game for what it is, 30 is great. And I don't have any problems with it. And I know there's a subset of gamers that will and do have a problem with that and just won't play games at 30. And okay, Oof, you know, yeah, you yeah, got yeah. Um, I accept that. And yeah. that's that's like our game is probably never going to be anything other than 30 frames it'd per be second. A, it'd be a different game at 60. Like we would have, but when I would have had to make all sorts of compromises yeah, yeah. And, and come to you with like, nope, can't do that. Right. Can't do that because this game can literally run twice fast. Can't do the that lighting. You can't. You can't, um, like, we'd have to change all the timing on, like, oh, yeah. tens of thousands of lines of code, and it, it wouldn't feel the same. It still surprises me as a player when I play games, because I just assume now that consoles are super fast. Yeah. But there's plenty of games where it's like, yeah, if you get more than uh, five characters on a screen at one time, it starts to chug. Yeah. And Dude, we're like, yeah. it still baffles me, even though I know why. I mean, you look at the ps4 and xbox one like they're not that powerful mm. they came out and they were already kind of behind pcs and you can see the stark difference between even just dark souls 3 where the console releases are all locked at 30 and the pcs at 60 yeah. um and even that kind of chugs a little bit because you know from software is not known for their, like their mastering of their engine or anything mm -hmm. i fucking love those games but they they have their jank you yeah. know um and you just see like you see the difference the disparity between pc and console stuff and how much power they don't have it's yeah. not to say that they they can't do a lot with that and holy fuck i mean you look at what like uncharted did on the ps3 and you're like how did they do that with that little bit of memory a lot a lot of hard work massive optimizations yeah. and really clever programming and it's like they have a massive team to do that stuff and we don't. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, if we had like 10 more people, we could engineer Hyperlight right. and make it all 60 and whatever else in a couple of months, but we don't. Right. In our case, it was like, well, do you want 60 or do you want to cut half the world? Right. Like yeah. Content is actually directly yeah. contrasted with things like optimization and this stuff. This was a call made like a year plus ago when I was like, guys, can we do 60? Like, is that possible? Because I know this is yeah. going to be an issue. And as a gamer, like I like games at 62, yeah. but... Our game plays well at 30, and and that's fine, and it's great, and I I love our game, so... It's... Yeah, I was... I mean, that's that's one of the things that I personally like. Like, that's one of the reasons that I haven't dabbled with, like, VR that much, is that I hate fighting technology. Hmm. I hate it. I hate, like, having to struggle against optimization and stuff, and the fact that... I Like, we did deep optimizations a year ago, hmm. you know, when we were doing, like, that Vita, the Rush temporary Vita port yeah. or other stuff, or the preview We're build. still doing optimizations. Uh, yeah, but I mean... I was a huge texture pass. That's true. That is true. That yeah. was that is maybe the like, first. Op I don't think I did any optimizations before we released. Well, yeah, and that's that's the we lesson that we're to, learning but, is that. Yeah. Well, I, we, but we do at the same time. Well, it's there's like, that one. It's a balance, though. Yeah, it's yeah. a balance because, like, yes, we're a 2D game and we're like low resolution and we're just scaling up. Not a big deal. And we're like, yeah, PCs have plenty of power. But what we're learning is that plenty of PCs do, but mm -hmm. there's a there's plenty that don't. And there was a lot of people that like could like got black screens because we were just loading up every texture in the game right away. 
I'm going to change the subject. Okay. How much, what percent of your time do you feel like you spend actually like, and I would say in the last six months, like approaching release. Yeah. Like working on the game versus working on the company. Um, shit. I don't know. At a certain point it became like 50, 50. Um, because, well, I guess depends on what you mean and how you define working on the company because sure. if you're just talking about like paying bills and talking to the accountant and making sure that um paperwork's getting done and answering emails well, to Skype with else. game maker and when we talk to steam reps and sure assets for the store like yeah that i mean that stuff's like 10 percent, 20 percent, maybe mm. but if you're talking about like me focusing on actually doing level design and actually doing art assets for mm-hmm. in-game and doing the things that I want to do in-game versus everything else outside of that. Yeah. Meaning like managing everybody on the team yeah. and doing the business stuff. At a certain point, it became like 20% of my time was dedicated to actually making in-game content. Mm. And then the rest of my time is dedicated to managing the team. Well, I mean, I think team direction counts else. for me. Like development. I it think. does. Yeah. And I, but, but, but like trying to like break it down to more... Sure um manageable terms mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for me like yeah like a lot of actual in-game stuff at a certain point kind of flipped just because yeah. of the nature of everything going on because i was trying to you know i'm managing like eight people at a certain point 12 people at a certain point at its maximum well yeah i mean there was a there was a time like a year ago where the priority was so extreme it was like we need i mean you still have lots to do but it was like one of the most important things was to do all the tile sets yeah for the game and that was like well you just that's that has to be a priority and then later i mean i don't know man it's all priorities we say this all the time it's like right. literally everything we do is a priority everything's a fucking priority <laughs> how do you how do you feel about video games now you probably play more games than i do i play a lot of video games i mean i go home and play video games after i play video games all day yeah no, after I work on video games all day. Right. We play our video game. Oh, yeah. I Yeah, I play my video game, but I don't consider that necessarily an enjoyable thing. <laughs> it's not a... Or I, it's not a relaxing thing. Hyperlight Drifter, not enjoyable. I'll express it in 2016. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a relaxing not thing to, like, play your own game because you're no. being so analytical about it. Well, that's why I ask, because, like, that is, a, that is a thing that many people have problems with and that I know that I try to protect myself from somehow, which is... When you start working in a medium, you start dissecting it. Oh, yeah. And, like, I, I know people who are unable to consume it without dissecting it, and I know people who can turn it on and off. I, it depends on the game for me. Mm-hmm. And for mm-hmm. the most part, what I noticed is that over the past, like, six months to almost a year, it was really hard for me to play any games without just breaking them down because i was constantly thinking about design right you're thinking like oh we should do this yeah i was always like maybe we should do that or maybe that's a better way to do this or why did they do that or that's questionable that doesn't seem good so Mm -hmm. i was constantly analyzing every single game that i was playing and i was unable to invest myself in them unless it was like a smash brothers where i could just go crazy and kill another person and be competitive Mm -hmm. but even in that case i was still like So, I mean, there's very, very few games in the past, this entire development cycle that I've been able to just let myself go and enjoy and be mindless about. And like one of those was Destiny, even though I still analyze the fuck out of it and still been like, what did they do there? That's interesting. Maybe we could do that. Or like, why did they do that? And I was very critical of it. Okay. 
but it was mindless enough at a certain point where I could autopilot sure. and not worry okay. about the design choices anymore because I got into a groove with it after like, like 20. hour 20, yeah. Yeah, after like 20 or 30 hours, it's like, cool, I'm over all the analyzation now and I can just ride the wave of brainlessness. <laughs> and but and the same thing's holding true with, well, in, in, in a different way with Street Fighter Five mm. because it's like, I don't have to analyze how the game's built because I know Street Fighter and I can just kill people in it. And sure. I can just, I can analyze myself and I can analyze my moves. Right, you're analyzing as a player, not yeah. as a designer. Yeah. And it's a, that game is about analyzing anyway. So it's like, I'm comfortable in this. What did I do wrong there? And what, what is the game telling me here? And what's the timing on that move? So that's a game that's kind of built for my mind. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yep, I can lose myself in this and have an enjoyable time or a terrible night if I'm on a, a, a losing streak or whatever. But mm. um yeah, like, I don't know. I tried to play Stardew Valley, Valley recently because, like, that should be relaxing. And I used to love Harvest Moon. Yeah. But even that, I'm like, I'm still analyzing it. I'm just it. like, I can't do it. I cannot play this game is, right now. Is there a medium that you can escape to that for? Or do you still just, like, are you committed yeah, TV to games? And, and movies. Yeah. I can go home because I don't have to use my hands. Mm. I can just zone out. I can laugh at a thing or, like, watch something really stupid and just be like, cool, I'm, I'm done. And that lets me like melt into my couch. So you could say the thing that lets you chill is Netflix. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Teddy. Zing. Zong. Um, well, cool. I feel like here we are and it's not the end. No. Of the video game. No, it's not. But there's something, I don't know. I'm, I think, I hope the party does something for us. I think it'll be some sort of release, and I've been like waiting to shave my face and hair. You should probably do that. You I, do it at I the desperately party. want to, but we'll never be invited back to that bar again. Yeah, but again, again, like I, I'm, I'm obsessive compulsive, so I have like certain feelings about the way things feel. Um, sure, I have feelings about feelings. No, I, I like have, I have certain mental blocks, and I'm like, if I do this thing, then maybe it'll fuck everything up, and like yeah. I can't help but feel like the floor is just going to fall out from beneath me. Mm. Like hyperlight, everyone will suddenly hate it. And, <laughs> and we will suddenly stop selling copies at all. Like, mm. and I, I still feel like that. And like, for some reason, reviews will reverse and everything will be <laughs> negative. Like more reviews will come out and everybody will be like, fuck this like game. 5.0. Review 2. 2.0. Colon actually. Yeah. It's like, oh, I, I'm, I went back and edited this review because I played it again and I fucking hate it now. Well, that's why patching is so scary. Cause it's like, <laughs> wait, okay. We're at like 91% approval yeah. on Steam. And it's like, okay. How we're we making not good choices up? though on that. I'm not as we worried are, about we that. Are, we are. And we're optimizing. And like the very few things that we have tweaked are like very minor. Uh, the only, the only like out my minor outrage I've gotten is um, speedrunners being like, no, don't fix that thing. Yeah. Because they want to do it fast. So why is this, I mean, you've made things before. Sure. Is this unique in that way? Like, because everybody, like the adage, right, is it like art? art's never finished. It's just like mm-hmm. abandoned, right? Yeah. So like, have you gone through this with other projects before? Or no, is there something unique about this? Not at all. Yeah. Um, even personal paintings, or I'm like, that's not quite done, but I'll show it in a gallery, which is rare. I haven't done that very much. Mm-hmm. There's been like a handful of times I've actually shown work in a gallery. Um, even then, I was like, yeah, I'm okay with this. And that's because um, those were 
two-dimensional pieces and they had a very limited scope mm-hmm. as far as like what they were trying to accomplish and what they were made of and what went into them and with the commercial work like i didn't give a fuck like i yeah. I, I wanted that stuff to look good and I, I definitely put effort into it like good effort into it but at the end of the day i was like cool whatever it's a commercial who really cares yeah. i'm not going for awards on this stuff or anything like i will make it look good and i'm good at what i do and that's fine um and even the fine art stuff working for artists i was like yeah i'm gonna do a good job because i want to keep working and i like painting but ultimately it's like i'm not getting any extra money from this like my name's not going on any of this stuff so i don't really care ultimately and it's done whatever you know like i could just let stuff go but this is a whole different thing because this is like my child that Mm -hmm. i've worked this is a deeply personal project this is me a hundred percent control um putting myself out there in a very naked way um and it's an incredibly involved experience because it's every, you know, it's like modern opera. You know, there's everything involved with this mm. from sound to video to uh, all of the graphics to design language to fucking UI. And then to this like very strange thing that is the interactive experience. Um, yeah. And then like pacing and storytelling and just like an endless number of facets to this incredibly sure. complicated gem and you have to make it all work together. And so that compounds this whole very personal thing to be this just like this crazy intense experience creative outlet that you're releasing for everybody else to criticize and so in that capacity it's it's wildly different than anything else i've ever done you feel like maybe the only you feel like the point at which you'll move on will be when you move into the next thing i mean i've already moved into the next thing right but i mean i've been in the next thing sort of for months uh, yeah i know but i mean like there's got to be a point where it pulls you away Here's where it will pull me away. Okay. When I finish the art book. Okay. When I have all the backer stuff like done. What does that mean? That means like I've sent out the wallpapers, the OSTs out. Uh, The rewards. Yeah. All the rewards are out. People are happy and satisfied. I don't have to answer Kickstarter messages ever again. Mm. You know, I can close Kickstarter permanently and just be like, listen, this shit shut down. Yeah. Like you got your rewards. That's it. The end. That's like end of the year for me. Mm -hmm. That's like, you know all of the all of the rewards have gone out and that's going to be some time still because we still have multiple physical things to fulfill so and again within that space releasing on the console will be another thing it's Mm. like yeah okay done and then and vita after that it's like so i think this doesn't this feeling will kind of lift yeah um as we get a more solid build out there on pc and mac and all that and so there's no more problems with that we're not we're just fixing minor bugs rather than humongous bugs or like crash bugs and all that stuff we get to make all new crash bugs yeah it'll start to feel better yeah once that stuff's resolved and then it'll start to feel better once we get the console releases out and then it'll start to feel better once all the kickstarter stuff is resolved so i feel like it won't be until the end of the year that i i truly feel like i can move on and it's not to say like I won't be working on the next project quite a bit right. and building the team and all that stuff, but I won't feel totally resolved on Hyperlight until basically the end of this year. Yeah. But that's that's good that you have it in mind. 
And that's just like... I just know what I have to do. Sure. I know what needs to be done for this. Did you expect to feel more resolved right now? I mean, obviously you knew that stuff was all there. Yeah. But did you expect to feel a little different after I, release? I don't know what I expected. I was mm. feeling really muddled for the past six months anyway, because I'm exhausted and like I've poured so much of myself into this that mm. it's it's hard to feel any one way or another. And I'm I'm feeling all of the things. And so my I didn't really have an expectation leading up to the launch other than like, it'll feel cool to press the button. And it'll feel really cool to hear feedback from people that I respect and know. Yeah. And it's fantastic and amazing to get so much positive feedback from people, but they're strangers to me. And so that has inherently less impact on like something like a review from somebody that I know the writing of and that I've, yeah. I've, I've read and know their opinions and want to hear their feedback specifically. Mm. Same thing with friends. It's like, if, if a friend doesn't like this game, then I feel much worse than if some random stranger doesn't like it. Sure. Like Johnny Jackass on Steam can say like, you're getting 60, I'll never fucking play it. And it's well, like- Well, Johnny Jackass doesn't like most games. Yeah. We, we all know and that it, about Johnny I mean, Jackass. it's hurtful and I've dwelled on that and I've, I've like going into the comments on, on bad things. I try and avoid that stuff. But when I do, it's like, that stuff sucks and it makes my day worse. Yeah. But what's more hurtful is if like a friend doesn't like it or like a close acquaintance or somebody, again, like somebody whose opinion I respect because I know them and I know their work and I know mm. why they don't like things, and I have an understanding of that, that hurts far more. So like, you know, something like uh, um, even the RPS guy, like Rock, Paper, Shotgun. Mm, mm. Um, I like Rock, Paper, Shotgun as, a, an, as an outlet, and I don't know that authors or that writers work particularly well, mm -hmm. but I respect their work as a whole, yeah. as, as an outlet. And so the fact that that guy is just not digging our game, really, mm. Like he likes aspects of it, but you can tell like that's probably not going to be the greatest review that we get because he has some some real concerns about our game, and like that's hurtful ultimately. It's, it's yeah. ugh, I wish I wish I would like could talk to him and be like, why don't you like this? And then maybe like play test with him and be like, what would you do differently <laughs> here? And like I want to sit with him and talk about these things and be like, what specifically is bothering you about this stuff, and what could we do to change that and massage it? Because ultimately. Even though I'm not setting out to please everybody, of course, any human being wants to please everybody. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. It's like, it, I, like, I don't have that expectation that our game is going to please everybody. I know it won't, and it hasn't. Like, there's plenty of people who are like, your game's too hard, I'll never finish it. And that's, you know... That's true. That's very true. Yeah. Our game is hard. Um, I don't think it's as hard as a lot of people make it out to be. Nah. Um, and it, I, it, it isn't, because it's just it's just a matter of... Um, perspective on that stuff. It's a matter of adjusting expectations. Because mm -hmm. um, yes, we we have cartoony graphics and it's beautiful and whatever else. So some certain people think like, oh, it'll be like a, a really mellow experience. It's like, no, this game will kick you in the ass. But it's no harder than a Dark Souls game. And in fact, it's much easier than a Dark Souls game in many ways. So, But we get knocked for that because of our aesthetic, I feel like, and because of our presentation mm -hmm. and because of the way that um, things look and feel and, and like the desire to explore this world, I think is different than like a very dreary, oppressive thing, the aesthetic that, that Dark Souls has, where the expectation is this game is angry at me. Our you, game presents it more like this game, oh, this game's inviting. Like I'm, I'm yeah. really interested in this world. And so we get a broader audience in some regards. And then when they find out, oh, this game's actually hard, then we get the backlash yeah, on yeah. that stuff. Do you, do you feel at this point, like, man, I don't even know how to... How to phrases like do you feel rewarded because like i 
this is a thing that we all like everybody like all everybody makes stuff like mm-hmm. has this issue is like the critiques take hit us so much harder yeah and like the the bad review the one bad review is gonna hit us harder than like the yeah. 90s and the one steam commenter who's like this game should be 60 or what's his name johnny jackass johnny jackass Fuck that guy um <laughs> that's 60 you know like do you feel rewarded or do you anticipate when you will feel rewarded like obviously it's like i think i think we would agree that it's like it's worth it that like it is w- yeah um, i mean it's, it's do you feel the payoff yet <sighs> I mean, there's a number of aspects to that. One of the, like, the most um, capitalistic one is, like, the numbers. Sure. The raw numbers. Of, like, is that rewarding? And, like, we've made some good money so far. We've done some, some we've sold a good amount of copies. That, that what I do when I read a bad thing on Steam is I close that and then I open the numbers. Yeah, and it's like. And, and like, just looking at our, again, like, our positive reviews on Steam, like, they're, mm. they are good, and there's a lot of reviews there. Like, our numbers are impressive overall for our first week, and, yeah. and that, that makes me feel good to a degree. <laughs> because I'm not the type of person that's like, fuck yeah, money. I would just right, like, right, that's right. all I want. Like, yeah. I want creative satisfaction yeah, much more than anything else. There are easier ways to make money. There are much easier ways <laughs> to make money than doing, like, just make a stupid fucking iOS clone, like, free to pay garbage in it so the whales can come in and pay sure. you 30 grand a month. It's it like, don't be an entertainment at all. Yeah. It's like, no, we poured our heart and fucking souls into this game. And this game is deeply personal to me. Mm-hmm. And I care what people think about it much more than i care about the financial success for it i care about the financial success of it because then that means i keep making things but like i care i care about how people embrace it and how they think about it and what the conversation around it is um but you still think that the negative like is the negative still overwhelming the positive because even with that like the numbers are there too like the 91 percent or whatever or like yeah. the, the people or like the 80 whatever six score on, on metacritic sure the but the people too you know like the yeah. steam I mean, even then, though, that's it's still like, uh, I, like I know for myself, like what I do and do not like about the game, and the things that I would do differently, the things that I want, like if I had another year to work on this, hmm. the things that I would massage and change and whatever else. But even still, like looking at the positive reviews, I'm like, that's great, and I love that you loved it, and I I love my game, but also I can see why we get some like the the less positive glowing reviews, and I don't, I don't know, man, like. <laughs> maybe i'm just never satisfied maybe i'm a human being <laughs> and i'm never satisfied like every other human being and even if uh, this game got like pure 100s and we made 50 million dollars the first day uh-huh. that'd be fucking crazy but uh, you yeah. know i may, maybe even then i'd still feel like oh i don't i don't know but hmm. i don't know like we're in a very good spot we're in a, we're in a rare position for for first time developers and i i recognize that and i recognize the good graces um, that we're getting for this. And I appreciate all the, the outpouring of positivity for the game. Um, but I still, it's still like, I don't know. I just, I feel like it's just right on the corner or something bad's going to happen. And I'm like, <laughs> but maybe that's the expectation that I always have because that's how I live my life because of yeah. my health problems. And because of like, at any moment, like shit can go real bad and I have to go to the hospital. Mm. And that has happened any number of times for me. Um, and so maybe that kind of unease has really gotten a hold of me um, in a very deep way uh, for everything in my life. Hmm. 
So it's like relationships, um, you know, the game and its status and whatever else. And, and I also, but beyond that really serious and dark thing that I just brought up, um, <laughs> I pressed for it. Yeah. There's also, yeah. there's also the fact that like, yeah, I do, you brought it up earlier, like bad decisions can make a company just go away. Like it's, mm. you know, things can happen on a dime. They can turn on a dime and then bad stuff can, can happen. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't think heart machines going anywhere for now. Um, for a while. And I think we're going to keep being successful when people are, we're going to keep getting positive reviews overall for Hyperlight and that's great. But yeah. I, you know, I just, it's, it's, it's a thing. It's a part of me as a human and it's part of me as Alex Preston. That's like built into me to feel like tense and not, I can let certain things go, but other things that are so important, maybe I can't let them go. And maybe I'll yeah. always feel I that mean, way I, until I just, I'm ready to move on. And I don't know when that is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I like I'm asking all this stuff, but it's not like I'm asking it from a place of like, well, I can see the the silver <laughs> lining, and I'm super fucking chill, and I'm the happiest dude in the world. Like, I think, I think I relate to you in in a lot of ways in that stuff. Like, yeah. I don't think that's bad. I think that's like some of that is driving, right? Like, it is. The the, the it motivates us to keep fucking fixing the game right now, whereas <laughs> sure. other people might not have spent like endless nights after release fixing stuff and responding to all these emails i mean like i had a terrible weekend you sure did even though the weekend was amazing for like (laughs) sales and like visibility and reviews and whatever Mm. else like oh like i couldn't bask in that Mm. and maybe that's also why i feel the tension because it's like there's just me answering hundreds of emails about like shit my game is run or like this bug is here and like compiling and collating and doing all the worst work Right after I did a bunch of terrible work. So maybe that's also why I just don't feel good right now. It's just like I'm still inundated with work that's tough. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's okay. I think that like we're, there was a beat where I was like, wait, we're supposed to be happy now. Yeah. And I felt shitty about that. Right. And I'm just like, no, we're just not actually done yet. Like it's, yeah, that's okay. That's, this is normal. This is modern game development. Like the cartridge is not finalized. No. Um, We'll get there. Yeah, you can't you can't just release a game and let I mean you can. You can just release a game and let it go. Yeah. But for us it's like, no, we can fix this. We have the opportunity to fix these things. Like we can respond. We can actually make this better for yeah. whoever's having problems and I and I'm so deeply attached to this and I and I'm so deeply invested in what everybody feels about it that I that I that tension just builds in me when that, and I think I read something about this, like the Stardew Valley guy kind of does the same thing mm-hmm. where he, I was reading, maybe it was like Amasutra or something where like he's working 18 hour days also still because he feels very invested in his fan base. Um, and so any problems that people have, he takes it very personally. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the same for me or like if one person is saying like, I didn't get my key or like, this game isn't running that well for me and I have the specs. I'm like, why, why? And I'm there and I'm like immediately trying to respond. Like I'm on, I'm trying to be on point because I care and I can't just ignore that email because it creates this like bigger, horrible pit in my stomach. It like expands that pit where it's like, shit, man, this person's having a bad time with our game for, for like a day. And that's like an hour or even like the first time I'm like, fuck, 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 fuck. (laughs) And then, like I take that so personally, like every single negative re- uh, response about it, even if they're like, 
hey man, I love your game, but that mm. but as soon as that but comes in, it's like, oh, but it doesn't run well here, or I have a black crash here, or my save file got corrupted there, or et cetera, et cetera. Like that's just like, oh, it's a sta- it's another stab to my gut. Mm. And it's just I guess it's it's how I'm built because it's such a personal project to me. I will take every single piece of feedback very personally, whether good or bad. You're taking the good stuff personally too. I am, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I should probably wrap this up. Yeah. How about I ask you, what's the story for Hyperlight Drifter 2? Hyper, <laughs> hyper Lighter Driftist. The hypest of light. Yeah. It's just going to be called Hypest Light. Okay. I like that better. <laughs> um, I, you know, to be serious about yeah. whatever that question was, that brings <laughs> that brings to mind the uh, worked on that question for a long time. Yeah, and that brings to mind the the very real um, idea of a sequel and the fact that people have asked about this mm-hmm. on a number of, of occasions. Whether it was like two years ago, which is a ridiculous time to ask about a sequel, or like right after the fact, we're like, man, I fucking love that. When are you guys gonna make a sequel? It's like. I don't want to make a sequel to this, at least not anywhere near uh, in the near future. Mm. You know, I have another project lined up that I'm working on that's totally different than this. Um, well, not totally different, but very different enough that you would not mix mix the two up at yeah. all. Um, so I, I'm, as a creative person, I like to do different things. And that's been very, very much my history where I've, you know, I helped start a water bottle company with my cousin and designed a fucking water bottle. And I was working commercials. I was doing fine arts. I was doing like tech troubleshooting shit with people and building computers for freelance on the side. And I had like a Craigslist stupid business thing that I was doing, like buying and selling and trading. No. Yeah, it was like really shady and stupid. But like, <laughs> I, like I've done a lot of different things and I'm ready to move on to the next thing. And this is the most, beyond that like first political company that I did, but that was his whole own thing. Like, even though it was four years, I was doing a lot of different things within it. And this is like the most sustained, pure project I've done. It's like three fucking years of this. Because yeah. I was doing it before you and I, before yeah. you, everybody came on, before even, I formed the full team. Yeah, even for me, two and a half years is my longest job. Yeah, like, this was like three full, almost full years of this for yeah. me. So, like... I'm fucking ready to move on from Hyperlight for a while. Mm. Maybe I'll get some breathing room, and after the next game, I'll be like, yeah, it's time to revisit this world and do mm. a sequel and follow up on this stuff. But it wouldn't be pixel art. It wouldn't be It wouldn't be this game again. It would be something evolved and different. But I will never say never to it. I'll just say, like, I need, like, a five-year break from anything Hyperlight. That sounds good. I need cool. to move on and do the next thing, which I'm very excited about. So Yeah, that'll be good. Well, let's get back to not moving on yet. <laughs> let's get back to the rest of the year where I have to keep doing Hyperlight stuff. Cool. Well, thanks for talking to me about this stuff. Yeah, thanks for having me. Ooh, there you go. That was it. That was it. You, um, I don't know... I didn't know that conversation was going to go that direction, and I don't even know what direction that is. I'm glad that we got to hear a lot about Alex's past. Some stuff was new to me, some stuff was not, so that's always really valuable for me when talking to a friend. Um, yeah. Ooh. Uh, some serious stuff. I, I, I hope what came through there um, is that, A, our heads are in a really um, intense place right now, 
uh, and that's okay. Alex and I are both very intense. We share that sort of um, hunger that I was talking about earlier in the introduction. And that's just something we click on together. It's something that we're like together. And if you get us in a room, sometimes we'll spin a little deep on that. Um, so that's not always good. But at least you get to hear some stuff, some some insight into at least how our heads are working. So that's an episode. Um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I'll try and uh, make the next one a little cheerier. I'll, although I think that was all really positive, right? I, I think that was good stuff. I don't think this was a downer. I hope that it was informative and insightful and and honestly some really good stuff is happening to us right now and our game is is getting so much so much love and you all have been so wonderful and supportive and it's uh still kind of a gauntlet but i think we're getting to the end of it and yeah um i am really grateful to those of you well to everyone who's played the game and to everyone who supported uh supported me supported us but uh for those of you listening uh this is super cool to get to do this and um I'm not doing this show for any sort of money or anything, so I guess even if you weren't listening, I would still be sitting here talking into this microphone uh, like a crazy person. But I know you're out there because I look at the views or the listens. I know there's people. Um, So thanks for being one of those people. And I will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.